Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. So I wanted to talk a little bit about a book I wrote called The Watchman. It's the sequel to the beginning of this series about Jacob Mann, a realtor. And the, the first book in the series is called The Making of Mann. And the next one is called The Watchman, by the way, with two N's because Jacob Mann is spelled M-A-N-N. I just thought, you know, what could be more manly? What could be more masculine? What could be tougher than a guy called Mann with two N's? So there it is. But The Watchman is, I guess it's closest to the, the, a full-length novel that I've written. It's some 50-plus thousand words, just over 50,000 words, which effectively is the threshold for being called a novel. Hence, this book is entitled The Watchman, a Jacob Mann novel. I love this little book. It is a little book. It, like I said, it's just over 50,000 words. And I'm going to read the back cover. And then I want to talk to you about the origin, sort of the origin story of Jacob Mann. An unseen and mysterious voice unleashes a holy war on an otherwise peaceful coastal Alaskan town. Jacob Mann wants a simple life at the end of the road. But his Alaskan dream quickly becomes a nightmare. In a race against a lunatic who claims to be a messenger of God, Jacob must outwit the devil living inside of a man called the Watchman. And now I will play the sample as read by Michael Dukes, wonderful narrator, by the way. And this is the sample that's available on Audible. The stand of spruce was tightly packed with thick limbs drooping down to the low ground. Visibility beyond the edge of the parking lot was non-existent. Walking closer, I stepped as lightly as possible. Snap. Another twig broke. That's not a squirrel or a bird. Someone was moving close by. Looking back to the house, I could see through the large picture windows and giving Devon a tour of the living room. Turning back to the forest, I heard another twig snap, then another. He was moving away from me, fast. Was it bravery or stupidity that caused me to enter the woods? I'm still not sure. Once inside the stand of green trees, I could make out a small clearing about fifty feet ahead. Lifting the heavy limbs out of my way, needles poked my hands and slapped me in the face. Realizing the folly of my predicament too late, I heard more snapping of dried limbs. Only, the sound was getting closer. He was moving towards me, moving faster. I crouched lower and was practically crawling by the time I entered the clearing. Looking up, I saw the beautiful blue sky and felt a sudden sense of relief that almost instantly turned into sheer terror. Slowly, vertebra by vertebra, I stood. Gaining my footing, I was about eye level with a massive grizzly bear. He was not more than twenty feet in front of me. On all fours, his giant bucket of a head was level with mine. We locked eyes. His nostrils were flaring, and the hair on his thick neck was vertical. I had his full undivided attention, and he had mine. Going into the woods had been a colossal mistake. Flashing through my mind was every post-mauling photo I'd ever seen. Even from those accounts of survivors, the thought of his teeth sinking into my scalp was horrifying. Hearing the sound of your own bones crunching as the vice-like jaws clamped down on your limbs was unimaginable. The several-inch-long razor-sharp claws disemboweling you before your very eyes. I'd managed so far in my Alaskan experience to avoid bears, until today. 
In search of the invisible man who called himself the Watchman, I'm now face-to-face with a natural-born killer. Instantly, I recalled the fact that brown bears can run at nearly 40 miles per hour. Off the starting block, they can outrun the fastest man on the planet without breaking a sweat. The trees aren't climbable because of their thick boughs of needled limbs, not to mention bears love to climb, happily exerting the effort for a meal. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. My grandpa's expression for everything from spiders to grizzly bears was ringing in my ears. Though it is true that most bear attacks are either by a mother in defense of a perceived threat against one of her cubs, or, just like now, because of someone being in the wrong place at the exact wrong time, either way, when a bear eliminates a threat, if that threat is you, you don't stand a chance. The bear snorted, lifted a paw, and then scratched a hole in the earth beneath large enough to bury a small watermelon in. I did the opposite of what any expert will tell you. I began to retreat backwards. This didn't go unnoticed. The bear got up on its hind legs and reared back, lifting its head high. Opening its huge mouth, the growl that emanated was deep and shrill at the same time. Hard to believe that neither my bladder nor bowels failed me. Everything I owned was clenched in that precise moment, thank God. I backed up a few feet further till I was up against the proverbial wall. In this case, it was the thick stand of black spruce. No easy way out. The bear fell forward, landing hard on all fours while simultaneously launching itself at me. Fast. I spun toward the tree and ducked down low to try and crawl under the tangle of limbs. The sounds of a thousand-pound assassin thundering behind me were getting louder. My stomach leapt into my throat. In a millisecond, I'd be dead or wish I was. Without any time to think or seriously contemplate my life or how it would end, the thunder was silenced by a deafening clap of lightning. I want to hear how that ends. I want to, I want to hear the rest of that. I could listen to Michael read the phone book. In fact, I have, sort of. <laughs> I listened to a show. I'm kidding. It's a great show. Uh, but Michael's a, a radio host and a narrator. He has read for me, The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got, the eponymous name of this very podcast. He's also read and performed The Making a Man and now The Watchman. And at some point, he'll complete Born to Live, which was my first short story, first book. And um, it's a great little story in and of itself. But let's talk about The Watchman. This book is set in Homer, Alaska, my hometown, where I was born and raised, where my wife was born and raised, and where my two girls are born and raised. And this book is, in a sense, my conversation with myself about God, in a sense. And it's interesting because if you open, if you read the prologue, it's actually quite cruel the prologue, I hope, is pretty interesting. Here's what it starts with. The first line in any book is incredibly important. You know that. I know that. I, I strive to make the first line in all my books interesting and hook you into reading the rest of it. So the prologue opens in The Watchman with this line. Tommy took the last bite of his bologna sandwich 10 minutes before he watched his little brother die. That's all I had. I had that and nothing more. And what I was experimenting with was somebody who'd lost everything, lost all their humanity, was stripped down to the bare essence of kind of evil, if you will. Not kind of, evil. And he did, and he is. 
And he's confused by and conflates his religious upbringing with a call from God. And he actually feels like, as it says on the back cover, he is a messenger of God. And, but in truth, he's a devil incarnate on earth. And he does things. There's a lot of, there is some, I don't want to say religious, but there's some spiritual tone to this book, even though it is a bit of a mystery thriller ride. It is woven, has woven into the book a sense of my perspective as a man, as a person, as a small town realtor and father and just man about town, if you will. It, it has some sense of my questioning, you know, what is at the heart of somebody's evil act? And what will, when push comes to shove, or when pushed into a corner, even backed into a corner of their own volition, how will people react? What will people do? A friend of mine read the book, and he didn't like it, and he didn't hold back. And I'm sharing this with you because I think it's interesting. His comment, critique, and analysis of the book and, and really shredded it. I mean, I took him the, took him the lunch and he still shredded it on my dime. In fact, I think I gave him a copy. No, no, I take it back. He did purchase a copy of the book. All right. So he, he is certainly welcome to his opinion. But his opinion was there was some rough language in here. He didn't like the, the language. He didn't like the lascivious behavior of Jacob Mann. Jacob Mann is a man of the world. He, he loves a martini. He loves a gin martini or a vodka martini, shaken, never stirred, obviously. And he likes the ladies, and the ladies like him. And he's flirtatious. He's a bit of a cad, kind of. In fact, in the first book, The Making of Man, it was a much thicker book than I ended up with. It, too, was a full-length novel. And by the time my editor got done with it, and Tiffany, my first reader, got done criticizing so much of the book, I was left with a nugget of the book, which I love, and it's, it's effectively a, a, a novelette, or I guess it would be more of a novella called The Making of Man. It's a shorter story. That's what I was left with. And my editor said something really impactful. She put it in a different way. Tiffany was saying the same thing, but, but my editor, Marthy Johnson, put it in a different set of terms. She said, we know he's a cad, but do you have to celebrate it so much? Like he, he had a lot more extra, you know, extracurricular affairs, if you will. He's not married, so it weren't affairs, but he had relationships galore in the first book, like, you know, with multiple women in one book, not at one time, but in one book, he had multiple relationships. I cut all that out down to one encounter, you know, not even on, you know, I closed the bedroom door. It's not even on the page per se, just in, just alluded to. But she said, he's a cad. We know he's a cad. Do you have to celebrate it? And it's like, okay. And I guess in, in the sense that I think Jacob Mann is growing. He has grown between making a man and the watchman. I think he's going to grow out of it. And the, currently, the, the book I'm writing, the manuscript that I'm almost done with, there's almost no relationships. There's no um, sexual innuendo or otherwise. It's just not there. The story isn't about that. It just, so I think he's growing. As I'm growing as an author, He's growing as a character. And not to say that he's approved now in this upcoming story, but it's, it's more about something that happens to him. And I love to put Jacob in hard situations. I love to put him in the danger zone. And in a way, I get to live a little bit vicarious through him. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to react to something. The kernel and the nugget of the story I had for the Watchmen literally was a line that came to me. And I do not know where, but I'll read it again. 
It goes back to, there we go, the prologue. Tommy took the last bite. And by the way, it started out tuna fish. And it started out with second two tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> and I buried it down and edited it to this line. Tommy took the last bite of his bologna sandwich 10 minutes before he watched his little brother die. And it's evil. It's an evil thing that happens in the very opening pages of the book to a point where my, my youngest daughter, Zoe, read the, the prologue. She said, I can't read the rest right now. I can't read it. And so it is an exploration, I think, in the evil that's amongst us, the evil that's on earth, the evil that is in many, many men who live even in a small town and how God can intervene in your life or on your life, whether it be for good or, you know, or how you handle it. It's going to be up to you. So you could perceive it as good or bad. It's a little bit like Napoleon Hill said, with every adversity comes with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And that's kind of at the heart of what I think this story is a little bit about. Even though it can be rough, it's rough around the edges. It's by no means a perfect book. It's not perfectly plotted. It's not perfectly written. My editor did a really good job, I think, of helping me craft the sentences into grammatically correct anyway and and so the words haven't changed a whole lot under her under her pen or eraser but the but the this punctuation and and things like that she's really good at that i the, the story is mine and the sentences and the words and their the order in which they're told is, is mine and i'll i'll take full credit for that even if you don't like the book but i will say that having marthy's eye on all of the grammatical stuff allows me to just free flow and so as an author, as a writer, I feel like it really allows me to just sort of swim in the deep end and not worry about it because I know she's going to clean up the mess. It's sort of like a, a chef and onions drop to the floor and you're like, ah, oh, this isn't part, it's fine. Somebody's going to come in behind me and make that tidy and better. But one thing that I experimented with this book a lot is with the cliffhanger chapter ending. And so far, I can tell you that that's been incredibly successful with people reading it and liking it and telling me, man, I couldn't put it down. Like, it's not a hard book to read to begin with, but it's a fast-paced book on purpose, and people will tell me that I'm having a hard time putting it down. It's great. Thank you so very much, yada, yada, which I love. I love hearing that. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I've had people compare it to a Quentin Tarantino film, which is awesome, because in just the last few years, I actually watched, I think, every one of his movies. I think every single one, even True Romance, which I think he just wrote the script for, but didn't make. Um, anyway, I'm thrilled with the book i can't wait to release the third edition of the jacob man series it's going to be a novel length as well and jacob is doing a bit of more self-exploration i'm flirting with this idea of calling it jacob man's search for meaning a little bit of a play on victor frankel's book man's search for meaning but i i, I probably not that's just a placeholder for the the title right now but really what's happening to him in the story and how he's growing through the story is a thrill and i'm loving it so if you would like to hear this book in its entirety audible has out there and if you're a member i don't know just it's one what do you call it one redeemable point or whatever they they call that where you've got you know credit one credit for it the the watchman as read by michael dukes and again incredible reading and narration he did a really really good job it's also available in paperback and then ebook. So thank you so much. I can't wait to continue this journey. I hope with you. If it's not for you, that's okay. You've, you've got a couple more books of mine to choose from. Born to Live, which is an inspiring little tale about finding purpose at the 
uh, sort of the end of the road or on the road to hope. Hope Alaska is a bit of the concept there, even though it never says the word Alaska in the book. And then the backyard millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. That's almost an autobiographical to an extent sort of story, my story about coming up through real estate. So uh, those are all available for you and they're not rough. There is no rough language in those and there's no innuendo or anything. They're just inspirational tales. And The Making of Man and The Watchmen are very much a more dark mystery thriller. So I hope you enjoy them. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned, follow the show. Would love a rating and a review of The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,